Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to us by our friends at Sleep Me. And what I wanted to talk about today is imagine a world where you wake up every morning and you are not tired because you've (laughs) slept well. Imagine that. What's cool now, if you're listening to this, chances are you maybe are looking or doing a deep dive in your sleep. We use Aura Rings. We're sort of interested in seeing the ramifications of the day's inputs. Did I walk enough? Did I have a drink? Did I have caffeine too late? But I challenge you to look at your sleeping temperature. We regularly see that people struggle to change their HRV, their resting heart rates, but there's a lot of manipulation that can go on by adjusting the temperature of your bed. And Sleep Me does that. I mean, I sleep better. I don't wake up so hot anymore. Thank goodness. Yeah. But it's been remarkable to see the impacts of just a few degrees on the quality of my sleep. I love it. Yeah, just the amount of deep sleep and REM sleep we're getting and how good we feel when we wake up and we don't have to. It's not about how good you feel when you wake up and what you do with that. (laughs) It's literally about what the metric says. Can I have a good day? Let me ask my ring. But uh, honestly, folks, this has changed our lives. And if you're already tracking this and looking at your sleep, this is another way to level up. Yeah, so if you're ready to wake up like us and not feel tired, head over to sleep.me slash TRS to learn more and save off the purchase of any new Cube, Uller, or Doc Pro sleep system. So go to sleep.me slash TRS to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. On this episode of the Ready State Podcast, we are excited to welcome Shane Farmer, Shane is the founder of Dark Horse Rowing. He's a rower, four-time CrossFit Games athlete, former gym owner, Concept2 master instructor, and he's made a career demystifying rowing for non-rowers. He's married with two kids and has 13 chickens and an orchard. He loves soil regeneration, permaculture, and testing himself regularly at new and interesting forms of fitness. Now, we didn't get into it, but 13 chickens is a lot of chickens. It's definitely a lot of chickens. One of the things that is so great about this conversation is there was a special time that happened early internet, early explosion in, in CrossFit style training, where we're seeing Erging come in. We're seeing sort of the everyone's swinging kettlebells, doing some Olympic lifting. We're starting to see the sophistication around this. Previously, all we had was like, you were a rower. You taught me to row. I had never rowed before, really. You were either in college in a rower and the average person just got on the rowing machine at their club one and sucked. Right. And Shane really fell in love with how do I transition into coaching, teaching, getting people to love this machine. Yeah. And I also loved, we had a conversation about how he and his rowing team at University of San Diego used CrossFit exclusively as their strength and conditioning program and saw massive gains in performance and strength and overall fitness. And I thought that was cool in this world where everyone thinks that they need to do some super secret squirrel special program for their sport. It was cool to hear that. Yeah, that really highlights, you know, he had this really amazing coach during that time. And really, you can see that in Dark Horse Rowing, where he's continuously trying to up the coaching game, technical game, and make it accessible and fun. People need to belong and exercise in a group. You can see that DNA in his training roots, training with this really successful team. Yeah, so we had a great conversation with Shane, and I hope you guys all enjoy it. Hey, Ready State listeners, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Shane, welcome to the Ready State Podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. 
It's been a while. I would like to go way back into the dawn of time of your rowing career, but I don't know if you know or remember yeah. that I am also a former rower. Yeah. Cal, right? Can you do the handshake? What is it? <laughs> the, I'm so I'm scarred so, from rowing I, in college yeah, yeah. Um, that I have to talk about it with other rowers okay, who so, rowed in college. <laughs> scarred. Yeah. So I, I already could really start going deep nerd rowing, but I'm going to control myself from doing that. And just start by asking you, tell us a little bit about how you first even got into the sport of rowing. What's the origin story? Yeah. So I played every sport under the sun in high school and leading up to University of San Diego, which is where I rode. So I was just a multi-sport athlete. I'd done anything and everything. I was a big skier. And I thought kind of like that's the trajectory my life was going to go. And a series of events landed me at USD. And I was one of those athletes that just got like, hey, you're tall and lanky, you should think about trying rowing. And I like went to the the coaches event to like recruit all of the kids who have no idea what they're getting themselves into and saw a video of, man, I don't remember what Olympics it was, but the men had just done really well at like either a previous Olympics or maybe one before that. And so we watched this video of the men's US men's eight at the Olympics. And I was like, yeah, that looks awesome. Let's try it. Jumped in and just fell in love. It was the first sport that had ever come naturally to me. I'd always loved sports and I've been in everything, but I wasn't a gifted athlete. So I always rode the pine for everything else that I did. And then this just like clicked really quickly. And within six months, I was in the varsity boat. And then it just was like a, a love affair from there for the next four years for me. Really just want to hone in on the fact that like in your mind, you're like, step one, watch a rowing video. Step three, go to the Olympics. <laughs> like you're just like, you're like, oh, it seems so makes sense. Like this looks like fun. And then you realized yeah. you had just set yourself on fire and walking across coals. It's really difficult. Julie and I were just at Cal just the other day for something. We were driving past the old erg room where all the ergs were kept. And Juliet like was like, look, that's the erg room. Oh my God, the erg room. Ah. And then she kind of like <laughs> convulsed a little bit and, and like deep scar. What is it that drew you to rowing? You say you had some success, but if anyone has ever been on a rowing machine or an erg ever, it's not rowing. That's not rowing. Yeah, it's and, and it's so hard. And if I could just sort of yeah. tack onto that question, I mean, I think it's an important one because it is one hundred percent suffer sport. And I mean, there's so many other factors, right? The technique and the team, and there's so many parts of that sport. But I started when I was 15. What does was that mean? It? You were too young. You're basically I saying I was too young. young to know one. How, you know, how one hard it was? Other, how hard it was? You know, I definitely. This is fine. Yeah. Everything's for fine. Social fine. reasons. So yeah, what was it about it? Like, what about the experience? Because you know, when you're first in a boat, especially with a bunch of people who suck at rowing, like it's sort of it can be an unpleasant and. Um, crappy feeling yeah. experience. And so what was Rough. it? What do you think drew you to it? So that time in my life was a really unsettled time. I had no direction. So I just I started at a small school in the mountains, Colorado. I was a terrible high school student, like 2.5 GPA thought I was a complete idiot. I just assumed like I was not going to be a successful human in life because of how I'd done in Durango high school. And so I went to uh, Western, yeah, Gunnison, Western State. So I was at Western State for two years. And I played club baseball there. But when I got to college, all of a sudden school clicked when I realized it was all up to me, whether I succeeded or failed. And once I got to choose the curriculum, I was a kinesiology major and I was a athletic trainer. So I really found stuff that I loved. And all of a sudden school was, made sense. I was like, oh, okay, well, if I do this, then I can, I can go do something that I enjoy. So I got better and my grades improved enough that I could transfer to a good school 
So at the end of my sophomore year, I applied to the University of San Diego and North Central College in Naperville, Illinois. I just knew one way or another I was going to be leaving and I wasn't going to come back. Yeah, to Illinois, Madison. San so, Diego, same, same. Did you grow up in Colorado? <laughs> I have a lot of family in Colorado, but I'm from Minnesota originally, which is why I didn't have an opportunity to find rowing in high school. I was surrounded by cows and cornfields, so there wasn't a whole lot of rowing around. Okay, wait. <laughs> so get, coming back, okay. when you first get on, you see like you're an athlete, you feel like you're into this. But the first time you sit on ERG, what was your first 500? Like, tell me what your spokes where you're like, I well, maybe found... it was already amazing, like 130, 125. I couldn't tell you what my first test was. Well, I know what my first test was. I don't exactly know what my results were, but it was a, a oh, 6K. just a 6K. The coach just... Trying to get you to quit? The coach just like... <laughs> yeah. Well, so the I guess for some reason I was a transfer student and so I'd like missed the first day tryouts for athletes to jump on the machines. So I had to go up to the ERG room and meet the head coach and he and the assistant coach put me on the machine, set 6K on the monitor, and then just stood behind me while I rode 6K by myself. <laughs> oh my and they just said, go that as fast as you can. And horrible. I, <laughs> Tell me more. What happened? It was, I mean, yeah, so you don't know any better, right? Like you said, you know, when you don't know any better, you don't know any better. You just go. To be honest, I don't exactly remember the feelings that were coming as I went through that. But I do remember the aftermath and the coaches looking at each other and like kind of smiling and nodding at each other. And that I think to me, that was like a, a motivation enough. Like, okay, so maybe I did all right enough that I could be good here. You rode like you rode like a six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say I, I was sub two on my splits, but I honestly have my memory is faint at that. But it was, you know, the original question, like what made me fall in love with it? All of that backstory was simply to say, like, I sold everything that wouldn't fit in my car. And I just moved to Mexico for the summer and like fingers crossed that I was going to get into the University of San Diego because I didn't know. <laughs> and so I had like nothing grounding in my life at that time. I was I got a job working at a hospital in Mexico. Worst job ever. Total side story. But and then I like found out that I got into University of San Diego, like at the last minute. And so I think something about rowing and that team element and finding some early success became really grounding for me in my life at, you know, as a 19 year old at the time. I think maybe that's what drew me to it. It's like, oh, okay, well, there's some success here. And this feels like, hey, I got something that I could laugh Let me ask you to. this. You're, are you wearing an aura ring right now? No, sorry, not an aura ring. It's a okay, okay. ring. Uh, do you track heart variability? Do you use a whoop or anything like that? I don't. Hmm. What's interesting is that some really good coaches have recently looked at the data and said that they could predict whether you'd be a successful, high-level, international-level premier soccer player based on your heart rate variability. And that if you're not, if you didn't have really good heart rate variability, then you would probably only be a national team-level player. And the reason I mention that is there are a lot of... Is that why I kind of suck? <laughs> it's because of the aura ring. Well, <laughs> your aura ring tells you you can't you yeah, like it, yeah. it limits not, your ambition it's not actually Wait. you it's yeah. it's the technology telling you you shouldn't reach for the stars just don't do it <laughs> the reason i mention it is you know it's you rowing has really become this piece for you even your business now which we'll obviously we'll get into but we see that a lot of people have these latent aerobic capacities that they've you know they they were physical their whole lives they like to play but then they discovered this thing late. We've met cyclists who became world-class cyclists. I think of Evelyn Stevens, 
who set the world record time trial for an hour for a while. She was a Tour de France, uh, you know, level rider, you know, national team level. You know, she didn't start racing bikes until she was in college. Yeah. She just kind of discovered it afterwards and was like, oh, I'm good at this. Oh, I'm the best in the world at this. Like, oh, how did this happen? Did you know you had this innate aerobic capacity in there? Or was this the first time where you, you realized it was a very trainable system in you? Because you didn't row very well. What they loved was that you smoked it, right? And you smoked yourself and went all in and didn't break. Yeah. But you clearly had some kind of, wait for it, penchant for it. Some ability. He loves to use that word. He's always like, when can I say penchant? <laughs> you put some good emphasis on that. Did you know that about yourself beforehand? No, because I hadn't really found any success in my life. Nobody had been like, you're great at this thing. You should really go for it. I had been very mediocre at everything. School, sports, I think that's whatever a, That's been. most people that we know. They're not like freaks. You know, they're like, I'm kind yeah. of good at it. But when the doors open for you, it's pretty profound. Yeah. I've thought back many times, like, where did that aerobic level of fitness come from? And the only thing I can really credit it to was my skiing background, just the the volume that our coaches would put us through, as well as all of the quad training that we had to do for that. We would just do ungodly amounts of stairs during the summer and lots of running and just lots of aerobic work. Wall sits to the cows come home. Was that early on, like when you were a teen or like preteen? Yes, 12 through 18, I raced slalom and I was a ski instructor as well. So I was on the slopes three, four days a week during the winter. So that's the only thing I can really credit my aerobic capacity to. And then I think the thing that started to set me above, and I don't know how this happened, but I had a lot of attention to detail. And so I kind of realized, well, I, I may not physically be the best, but if I can hone in on the mechanics, I can start to move beyond others who aren't willing to do mm. the, the nitty gritty, the detail oriented stuff, which is probably why I ended up in stroke seat eventually was just because like the technical elements were, I really wanted to be a great technical athlete and use, you know, what fitness I did have. Yeah. We have a couple coaches say things like the skill carries the strength and then the strength carries the skill. Those mm -hmm. things are, you can be both led. You now, uh, again, we'll get into your current project but you're actually seeing a lot of rowers now and a lot of people who want to use rowing for fitness and other things. Do you find that they, most people that you're running into have had some base of success or they're being successful, but they had an aerobic activity as a kid? Because one of the things that Juliet and I believe in is that later on in life, it's hard to reclaim raw aerobic talent. And those kids who were gifted with it, who had the potential, the pipes were there and then had some exposure can later on lift that up. Oh, I swam in, you know, in middle school and high school. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, no wonder you're such a beast. You know, you've been, you've been yeah. training this aerobic pathway forever. Have you found that in your own coaching? Yeah, absolutely. Like you've said, to take somebody who has been historically untrained, period, and to begin fresh for somebody later in life, it's a very hard journey to try and improve both picket, strength, mobility, fitness, like in any way, it's tough to begin to take on. And I think you guys and myself probably would agree, like the multi-sport athletes are those people who have that adaptability and lay a, an early groundwork for how their bodies are going to perform throughout the rest of their lives. And taking somebody who has good kinesthetic awareness, a good background of fitness in general. And then from there, you can drill down onto what was your sport, right? Water polo players historically make great rowers. 
because they just have good engines and the same with swimmers. They can get on a machine and just demolish it because like you said, that fitness is there and and easily applicable. I want to go back to your USD career. But before I do, I thought you'd, I don't know if you know, but both our daughters play water polo, Yeah. but our older daughter, Georgia has started going to CrossFit, like at an actual CrossFit that's, that we don't own, like just going like a normal member. Yeah. And she came home the other day. Incognito. Like incognito. It's hard for <laughs> her to be gone. incognito. Yeah. She shows up at the class and the coaches are like, dude, you should probably just go to this class. But she came home the other day and I was delighted because it was some kind of box jump rowing workout. And she's like, I destroyed everybody on the rowing machine. So she was pretty stoked on that. Anyway, so I obviously am familiar with the USD rowing program as I rowed against them when I rode at Cal. And I don't remember it being like a super powerhouse of a rowing school, but am I correct in that you guys had some pretty spectacular results during that time you were rowing there? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, so the women's program definitely historically has been better than the men's program. When I got to USD, there was zero history of performance at the school at all. I mean, back in like the 80s, there was maybe a two-year window where a team did okay. And we showed up and had this ragtag group. We were smaller than rowers should be. Most of us were true novices. I think we had two guys who had actually rowed before. The rest of us were true novices. And we just had this grit as a group. And we all just synced in really quickly. And at our at the end of our novice year, so I've been in the varsity boat most of the year and thankfully got moved into the novice eight at the end of the season for the first time, the program took, went to the East Coast and we went to Dadvilles, which is the first East Coast race that the school had been to ever. And so we went to Dadvilles and we took bronze in the novice heavyweight men's eight, which was blew our minds. And it was the end of our season. Gigantic. Yeah. And again, we're a small private Catholic school with no history of rowing. So it was like, that's amazing. And right after the race, as we were in celebration mode, the varsity came up to us after that race, patted us on the back, went, hey, that was cool, but don't get used to that because that's not what this program does. This is not a winning school. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we were just like, okay. okay, What? And it was then that like our entire group basically wah, said, wah. yeah, we just said like, hey, all right, well, this is our program now and we'll take it from here. And so we all kind of like quietly got together after that season and just said, we're get, we'll take the varsity boat next year easily. Uh, everybody trained this summer. Maybe they were just punking you to try to motivate you to do what you actually did. No, they're <laughs> they're very unmotivated. <laughs> I I can think of a famous musician friend of mine whose stepdad was like, "You'll never stick with it." <laughs> and uh, you know, really, there are these moments we've heard where there, you know, someone says something to you, and it's just enough to get under, you know, at the right moment, the right time. Coming back. One of the things that is so remarkable when it happens is culture. And it, when a team that happens, oftentimes people stumble into teams. There's, there may be a coalescing person like a Juliet who's around who, you know, crystallizes everyone into action, you know, as the leader. How did you all become a team? And was it just because you suffered together? Was it conscious in any way? One of the questions we are always talking about now is how do you recreate culture? When it happens, it's a miracle, but then how can we reproduce it over and over and over again? Do you have any insight into your experience there? For us, it was highly conscious because right after that, we all said, we're going to take this varsity boat next year. We want to, so Cal, 
they were our idols. We looked at Cal and went, we want to compete against Cal someday because that this program, nobody thinks that's even possible. And so we want, there's this great documentary, uh, all for one, which was like our, we would watch it every time we were all together. We'd sit down, we'd put the movie and put on, play the DVD and we would just, everybody would get tingles down their spines. And like, that was our motivation. And we kept that for all four years. And so the next year we came back, we took the varsity eight, we stuck together every single summer. We would all check in all summer long, make sure everybody was mm. training so that when we showed up, we would be in good shape. After our sophomore year, the majority of us committed to staying in San Diego together for the summer so that we could train together. And we went and joined San Diego Rowing Club. And then that sophomore year, you guys probably know Stefan Roche. So Stefan yes, Roche. Oh, yeah. Oh, Stefan's a very good friend. <laughs> Introduce everyone. Who is Stefan? Okay. So Stefan is a larger than life human who has just been absolutely instrumental in my life. He's an OG flow master, has been around. I mean, the guy is CrossFit inside and out. And he was, he came on as our SNC coach, our sophomore year at USD. So our CrossFit, or our, our strength gym turned into a CrossFit gym our sophomore year. And honestly, that we give a lot of credit to CrossFit being our strength training during college. There's so many different ways we can go from this, but essentially, we found CrossFit. We all started getting strong. We committed to staying around. We joined the rowing club. So we would row all summer. We'd go row in the morning with the masters. We'd get done with practice. We'd go straight up to the weight room. We'd do CrossFit for an hour. And then we would all go start our days. And this was all summer long for our, our sophomore and junior summers. And it and it, the whole time, we basically just kept saying we want to compete against Cal. And we got our chance. We got to go to IRAs our senior year, finally, So, which is the national championships for men's rowing. Um, and how did it go before we move yeah. on? I mean, how did it actually... I got. I have to know the end. Yeah. So we, uh, <laughs> we, we were by far the smallest crew there, which was incredible. We loved it. We made it... You mean smallest in like physical stature? Physical stature. We you were, weren't 6'6", 240. Yeah, right. We had one guy that was 6'6 in the boat and like our bow seat was probably 5'8", 150. <laughs> like we were a scrappy crew. Uh, we didn't have a single guy on the bench either. So like a single injury would have wrecked our whole team. <laughs> uh, that's how many people were on our team. So yeah, we made it out of the fourth final and into the third final. We took last in the third final, but for us, 18th, instead of you know 24th was like that's major incredible we were yeah we took out our crosstown competitors ucsd who had been our rivals all four years and that was really what mattered most to us and so we got to line up in the third final which was pretty cool before we move on i want to ask just say a story about stefan go ahead <laughs> i paddled slalom whitewater canoe and kayak and it was uh -huh. in durango paddling c2 and we reached out to metrics you guys remember metrics yeah. Oh, yeah. Metrics bars, right? Yeah, Troy Aikman, yeah. the powders. Yeah, yeah. That was tasty stuff. <laughs> well, it wasn't, but it was it what was you had. The, it was the stuff. <laughs> it was the stuff. So we reached out and we got this guy on the phone who said, I'll sponsor you. And he would send us shakes and we were starving, all basically broke, broke powders. And we get these boxes of bars and boxes of shakes. And it was Stefan Roche, who we had met and he was sponsoring us. He's like, you kids are motivated and This stoked. was in like 1982, by the way. <laughs> 1998, <laughs> And Stefan really was that kind of person who made such an impact. I wanted to circle back. How important was it where you started seeing, because as we get into what you're doing now, to see a relationship between movement, movement quality, movement efficiency, 
in this CrossFit style training and improving your rowing because rowing is notoriously terrible with strength and conditioning. And you guys had a legitimate what are you talking about? horrible. What are you talking bench about? We did bench with pulls. Cans. <laughs> it's not great. Jumps. You have no Lots idea how many bench pulls I did. It's got a lot no. more sophisticated now. But back then, you were actually engaged in. You know, Stefan is a really good coach. And I mean, I just happen to know how technically competent he is. But here was your exposure. Do you credit that or is that an important piece of your success growing and being underdogs and competing is not just getting in the weight room, but getting in the weight room and getting actual really coaching in the weight room? Immensely. He changed. He was more supportive of us than our head coach was and was perhaps the only, maybe the assistant coach, but Stefan believed in us as much as we believed in ourselves. He believed in us as much as we would believe in ourselves. And that's the kind of coach he is. He will give you exactly what you give him in return. And we would sell our souls to do whatever Stefan said. <laughs> and I mean, if, if, and like I, one of my favorite stories was we, um, nobody ever looks at rowing, especially at a school like USD where there's no history of rowing. There's no alumni program with tons of endowments and there's no very little money for it. And we're not football. We're not basketball. We have no, nobody cares about what we're doing. We're just doing it because we love it. There's a term for it. It's called non-revenue generating sport. Yeah. <laughs> and so we would be, you know, we would kill ourselves for Stefan because we knew that that would get us to where we wanted to go. And he believed in us and that we just fed off of that. And I remember one day in the weight room, we were in there with the, the basketball team and those guys, you know, walked around like they owned the place. But they would walk between stations and it drove Stefan nuts. And, you know, we loved him. Whatever he said, we would do run from one place to the next. We did everything they could throw at us. And we watched the, the basketball team kind of like heads drop and just walking from station to station. And out of nowhere, Stefan just snaps, just absolutely snaps on them because they, had, they were losing pretty bad that season. They were not doing well. And he just like dropped them into a push up position, held them in a plank while having them do push ups. Well, basically just riding them about what kind of ego could they possibly have with how poor their season is going. And we were just like, shut up in the corner. Everybody's just like, okay, we're going to go do our work. And we just, we loved him. I mean, like he changed the future for so many of us. And I credit him honestly with that. In his gym, did he have that Dan Gable quote? If it's important, do it every day. Did he have that in there at the time? There's a good chance. Specifically, I don't remember it. Hey guys, we just want to take a little break in this podcast episode to actually tell you about one of our own products, and that's our Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Yeah, the app literally is the first place you should go if you're trying to feel better, if you're trying to solve an old movement-related problem, if you're just trying to not be as sore from your workout. There is so much going on in this app. We have a mobility test that is comprehensive and designed by Kelly Starrett himself. It's pretty good. So you can figure out what your biggest limitations are and start to work on that. There are sports-specific mobilizations if you want to try to lift more or Fact. run faster. There is a pain area. And we even have a ton of bonus content. You can do challenges around squat and ankle and a bunch of other specific body parts so you can just generally get more Jason, supple. You're and killing awesome. it. You should talk about this app more often. <laughs> We started the original mobility project back in 2010, trying to help people solve problems for themselves. We think that every human being should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. And we want you to be able to engage in some self-care in a really re reasonable, responsible way. 
One of our favorite parts of it, daily mobility. You have a 10, 20, or 30-minute follow-along with me. If you just have a ball and a roller, think you want to feel better, move better, play along. I mean, we really feel like that's the base camp practice, and you can add in what you need. We're really proud of this and what we've created here, and we think you should give it a try. Head on over to thereadystate.com slash trial and use code POD20 for 20% off your first month. And just FYI, including your two-week free trial, that's literally six weeks for $11.99. You can't beat that. There's so much amazing content to help you feel better and move better for $11.99. In the words of our uh, podcast producer, bananas. So I have to go back. This is more of a comment based on something you said a while ago, but your boat being small and crappy. And this is really for our listeners who maybe aren't rowers and don't understand how significant it is and what a significant advantage this is in rowing to have huge people. My story I want to share with you is we would always do this event against University of Washington. And, you know, we would row through the cut and it was this huge deal. And it was Cal, the University of Washington. It's like this big historic thing we've done every year. There's huge crowds and and they put out this like brochure thing beforehand. And it was when I was a freshman rowing at Cal and I was in the stroke seat too. And there was, they basically did like a their boat versus our boat lineup. And at that time I was like five, six, which by the way, was probably, I was probably like five, five and three quarters, but whatever, five, six, 145. Count it. That's what my thing said. And then we were lined up, you know, height and weight and name against the University of Washington girls. And the smallest girl on the University of Washington team was 5'8", 175. (laughs) Woman. And, you know, I looked at that and I was like, okay, well, some kind of miracle. Because, you know, we were also a relatively small, scrappy team. And I was like, some kind of miracle has to happen here. And it didn't because they were gigantic (laughs) and they completely trounced us. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard for people to truly appreciate. You know, it's like, I know being tall and big is an advantage in many sports like basketball, but oh man, like having some large people is a gigantic advantage. So I want to go back though and ask you a question about your using CrossFit to be your strength and conditioning program for rowing. One of the things that I'll be honest, really bugs Kelly and I a lot over the years is we've probably had like 500 people call us. It's more often than not parents of high school kids who are like, I need to get my kid into a sports specific training program. And they're convinced from popular understanding or the media or whatever that each sport needs to do a strength and conditioning program that's like only for those people. Like water polo people should only do specific movements that are just for water polo people and nothing else. And I mean, this is true universally. And when I say you don't need to do sports-specific training, you just need to get stronger and be more fit. And you can do that through a program like CrossFit. They're, they don't believe me. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I can't do that. So I don't know. I mean, what's your take on that? Having used CrossFit, which is really a generalized strength and conditioning program in your rowing. And what's your opinion about that? And what did you guys see on the ground in terms of your gains and performance and probably like injury prevention and strength and all those things? The ability to create general fitness is incredibly important to improving your ability to perform in a sport. For example, our warm-ups with Stefan were often tumbling. We were doing gymnastics. We were doing forward rolls, backward rolls, cartwheels, things like that. We, we all still love that. And that's not even close to sport-specific, right? And the <laughs> fitness that we were getting in there was, I mean, it was just straight CrossFit. It was not sport-specific in any way whatsoever. One day a week, our coach insisted that he take over the program in which we would do tons of high pulls 
and bench rows and low box jumps and things like that. And, and we ran that circuit once a week. But that circuit is not what got us fit enough to be able to compete the way that we did. We all just had to get strong, pick up heavy weights, move them around in different ways. And do it with a high heart rate. I think rowing yeah. people don't understand. If you've been on an erg, to row well, it's very metabolic. It's very cardiorespiratory intensive. Heart rate is high. You're burning and very technical. One of the things that, you know, Juliet and I struggle to tell people was like, if you've been on an erg, that's like riding on the back of a motorcycle, holding someone that is not yeah. the same thing as racing a motorcycle or, you yeah. know, jumping out an airplane, being strapped to someone. There's so much technicality and timing. And it's such a team sport that, you know, sometimes I think people get, they fail to understand that we're really looking at, you have to be able to manage these capacities of being on fire, feeling like you're going to die and be very, very technical and precise. And CrossFit is one of the few ways of getting there where we can actually expose you and still have you be conscious to move with quality and intention under those conditions. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I've always explained it as learning to row on an erg is like learning to ride a four-wheeler. You get the concepts. There's a seat, there are pedals, there are wheels. You understand how the system generally works, but then moving into a boat is like taking what you learn on a four-wheeler and learning to ride a unicycle. Like they don't, they're, you know, yeah. concepts transfer, but it's infinitely more complicated. And it's true. It's highly, highly specific in how you have to handle the technical components and balance that with just pure suffering. How do you bury yourself physically and keep the mental capacity to focus on maintaining high skill? That's the balance that you have to strike. <laughs> and you have to listen. Yeah. There's a bunch yeah. of people in the yeah, boat with yeah. you, it's right? More, it's, more like, it's more like biathlon, right? <laughs> yeah. Shooting, but yeah. but dancing with partners at the same time. Yeah. 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 yeah you have you, you can't be a standout. There's no such thing as an MVP in rowing. <laughs> no. Okay. Except so, for you, Jay. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm state champion. Just making sure you know <clears throat> that. California state champion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Anyway, you obviously found CrossFit and then CrossFit is how we originally met you, I think in like 2008, 2009, 10 timeframe. So after college, you go on to actually become a competitive CrossFit athlete and a coach. So tell us a little bit about that journey. I mean, did you graduate from college and immediately go all in CrossFit? You tell us a little bit about your CrossFit, official CrossFit journey. As is any collegiate athlete when you're college career is done, you often have this void of what do I do next? And <laughs> no, <laughs> they kick, they literally, everyone, they kick you out of the weight room, yeah. you lose your facilities, you're done. So if you're in a fall sport, your whole identity is over. Just gone. Yeah. You really have to rectify that. And for me, uh, my, I went and got a job doing, I was a business major. So uh, I transferred majors when I switched schools and so I thought I was supposed to get a job with a suit and a tie. I went and sold life insurance and uh, shout out to Northwestern Mutual. That lasted all of uh, nine months. And I was miserable every single day, wow. putting on a suit and tie, sitting in an office, dialing 100 people a day and zero fitness in my life. I was like, how can the shift be that abrupt? And I didn't really understand that CrossFit gyms existed outside of our weight room because I hadn't really <laughs> seen it in the wild. And I just happened to be on this walk one day in downtown San Diego and walked past this big open garage door in Little Italy in San Diego and saw what looked like pull-up rigs and some barbells and 
a bunch of people in rubber mats. And I went, that looks familiar. And so I poked my head in and kind of sheepishly like, is this a, just, do you guys do CrossFit? Is that what this is? And uh, they said, yeah. And so I, I came in and checked it out and immediately became a member, fell in love with that facility and things just kind of snowballed from there. And that Shout facility happened Invictus. to be Invictus. Yeah. The, we like, spent a lot of time there during that. Yeah. Phase. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. I have so many fond memories of that place. Yeah. I mean, CrossFit Invictus still exists, but I think that particular gym is no longer, right? That location. No, yeah, that, yeah. that whole yeah. block yeah. was Did you smaller. did you start coaching? I mean, first of all, let me just say that one of my favorite things in the world, and we did this famously with a few athletes, good collegiate athletes with huge engines. And I'm like, come with me and get coaching. And then I'm like, oh, you're the best in the world. That's so weird. Like we take good raw material and then we just tweak it a little bit, shape it a little bit, coach a little bit, support a little bit. And uh, rowers are great because you know how to suffer and really work hard. So you must have been just been welcomed with open arms to start with. And you had Stefan as a coach. When did you translate or transition from athlete to coaching? Or did you make that formal transition when you're in that period? It was the day that I realized how miserable I was selling life insurance. <laughs> I have to I, do something else. <laughs> yeah, I, I quit with, I just like walked in and went, here's my two weeks. I have no plan, but I can't do this anymore. And thankfully, I'd made enough in, in my first nine months that like I had a, a yeah, decent a little buffer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I was like, well, I've got six months to figure it out. And so I better do that quickly. And I went, if I quit good money, because I was miserable, then I better do something that I love. And I'm, I'm in this CrossFit gym space. And like, I'm seeing rowing and nobody's doing it <laughs> correctly. And no, as a rower, I, I take that as a personal insult. And I'm now starting to consider myself a CrossFitter. And so I kind of nudge CJ one day and I just said, Hey, if I were able to teach people, like, is that something I could do here? Start teaching people how to use the machine. And, uh, he said, yes. And that was kind of the start of my whole coaching career was, was that moment. I just want to pause for a second and say that for the birth of your second child, what did you get from your husband? Did I get a rowing machine? Yes, you did. <laughs> I already forgot. In San Francisco, these things called push presents, right? Yeah. Push yeah. present, right? Right. A push gift, but you yeah. like got a pull gift. <laughs> <laughs> and people are like, wait, 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 you did what? You gave Juliet an erg for her yeah, you, birth? You it's like, a very her? twisted and mean <laughs> present. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, wait, it doesn't so, sound like a present to uh, me. Oh, wait, hang on so, a second. I, 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 no, no, no me, me, me. You keep cutting me off. Ooh, busted. Don't <laughs> <laughs> um, so make me take my tooth out. So I want to talk a little bit about how you transition. Don't make me take my tooth out. <laughs> Everyone, I'm doing this talk and I have no front tooth. He's wearing a clip on tooth it's while we're fine. recording this, this podcast. Anyway, so... Um, I suffer from my art. It's... I don't know if I met you prior to that, but you know we were competing in the same year in 2010, both on teams. You were on Invictus and I was on the San Francisco CrossFit team. And that for me was my last year able to compete. You beat Invictus at the world champion, at the regional st tri-state championship. Yeah, tri-state championship. We won um, state champion again. And um, <laughs> it's obviously a theme. Comma. Anyway, um, again. but I felt like I sort of tapped out in 2010. Like that was sort of for me, like the last year that I could reasonably compete and still be like a person who had like a full-time job. And not as a coach, you know, full-time job. I had a couple little kids at that point. I was like, okay, it was starting to become a professional sport then. Right. And the other thing that was key for me is that up until 2010 in CrossFit and, and maybe even like maybe through 2012, you could be an athlete like me, which sounds like you were not like this, but I was not really a great athlete, very skilled and not a great mover. 
but man, could I suffer. And in the early days of CrossFit, you could still compete at a high level in CrossFit just on like the ability to suffer alone. You know, a lot of the complex skills weren't being programmed into workouts. And so you could kind of get by as like a pure suffer sporter. And I felt like 2010 was kind of it after that. It was like, you had to be both high skill and suffer. Um, (laughs) Baby, you're skilled. You're skilled, baby. So anyway, I mean, how did you stay in the game for four years as a competitive games athlete? And why did you stop? And what was your road there? Well, like you said, back early and even probably up until about 13, when I when after I retired, there was a lot of just if you were good at figuring it out, you could compete, right? If you had the ability to suffer and you had good figure it out ishness, then you could kind of go right. Like my very first regionals, I was an individual. This is back when it was sec sectionals before uh yeah sectionals right yeah um, that sounds right yeah so it was sectionals we did in the parking lot at socal but regionals i dnf'd a workout that was 20 shoulder to overhead at 185 and then 40 burpee over the bar burpee over the bar i dnf'd it because i had to clean and split jerk that bar for every single rep <laughs> So I and was, you were like, oh, this yeah. sport is actually becoming a legit sport. Yeah, I was not strong. Um, and that was my first year. So like, I had to get really strong in order to be competitive because yeah. I was tall, lanky. I could figure it out and I had the ability to suffer. I enjoyed the technical aspect of learning new movements. And so that was what I got away with for a long time. Could I compete now? Not a chance. I don't have the same raw strength that's required nowadays. You get picked up by concept two. And you start become a, you know, you kind of identified in this community too, which is suddenly buying ergs. I mean, just rescued, not rescue concept two, but blew concept two up to the company that is CrossFit. Everyone suddenly realized it was, I think fitness athletes now are like assault bike, rogue echo bike is the worst. But before we had those things, it was the erg and the erg ruled and dominated our world. It was so bad. How did you transition into wanting to stay with rowing? A lot of rowers are sort of, not rowing curious anymore. They are devoid of or want to kind of remove themselves from that suffering. You move closer to it. You, you become mm-hmm. a rowing coach, a rowing specific coach. And now with Dark Horse, you really are trying to use that as a centrifying, you know, centrating force in people's lives. Can you talk about that transition and what you're currently trying to do with Dark Horse Rowing? Yeah. So it just started because I wanted to travel and needed to figure out a way to make money doing it because I didn't have a whole lot of money as a coach. And so I just created a one-page PDF of a, a seminar. And this is in 2010, I think, maybe 11. And I emailed it to, at the time, every CrossFit gym I could find in Europe that I could get a, an address for, an email address for. And I sent it to them. And one gym in Switzerland picked it up. And that was like the whole start of my real coaching career. And when I came back from that concept two called, and then I became a master instructor for them, became the CrossFit rowing head coach and did that. And the point at which I transitioned into dark horse was when I realized how much of a fire hose of information was coming out in our one day seminar. Yeah. Like there's so much that you throw at people. They walk away with maybe 10% of the information. They just cannot handle that much info in one day. And so I was getting lots of follow-ups saying, well, how do I keep learning? How do I keep working on this? And that really was what inspired Dark Horse. And what has continued to inspire Dark Horse to this day is how do we be that resource of understanding how to demystify rowing for people? 
And that's kind of what I've really enjoyed doing is I don't ever try to force rowing on people. I don't try to make anyone love rowing. I just realized there's a lot of mystique around it and how do we move well? Why do we do it in certain ways? And how do we relate, relate that all to fitness? And that's kind of the whole like, origin story of, of what Dark Horse was intended to do and what I think what we're still doing this day. And so tell us a little bit just about the nuts and bolts. Like if you become a member of Dark Horse Rowing, are you getting rowing programming, rowing instruction? Like tell us a little bit about what actually is underneath the umbrella of the program. Do I actually have to you... row? <laughs> do you actually have to try yeah, rowing? There are touch points with rowing, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so we, we kind of try to, Yes, there's programming in like our monthly program, but I also understand that inherently for many rowing is an accessory to a primary program that they may use. And so the way that I have always philosophically believed we should program is the minimum viable dose to be able to help somebody improve on the machine without overwhelming their primary programming or desires. Now, some people obviously lean into it more and they just want to row or they just have a rowing machine at home. And so the way that our programming works is we deal in, in traditional programming, the way that we've all learned to write and coach and whatnot. But we make sure that in any warm-up opportunity that we have, we're fixing in drills that are traditional to rowing. And we help people to just onboard the mechanics on a pretty light basis and gradually over time so that we aren't trying to make it too heavy up front. We give people that steady drip of practicing the mechanics of it so that they can get comfortable with the movement. And the more that we can introduce that in a palatable way via warm-ups as opposed to entire drill sessions, the more success that we found we're able to deliver in a consumer product. Your rowing program is really a cogent and whole, and I think it, it helps to have been like a novice as an adult. Like Juliet is on, can get on the erg unconsciously. She's been doing it since she was 14, right? Aaron Cafaro, our Not well. good friend, you know, Olympian, has rode so many miles, so many kilometers that she just, it's automatic. But how important for you to have a strength and conditioning background to understand rowing differently? Because my critique of so many coaches, especially in the college level, is that they are experts and masters, maybe creating culture and programming rowing and solving problems of rowing with technical drills. But their athletes are missing ranges of motion, super weak, not very competent and transferred skills. How important was it to have this really solid background to come back to rowing? Did that make you a better rower, knowing what you could see and, and how people were moving when they didn't have a an erg handle in their hands? This is not intended to sound like I'm giving you too many congratulations here, but it, to be honest, it was the fact that I was a young coach at the time who was just starting to figure out what coaching was. And I got to be in an incredible environment surrounded by amazing coaches like you guys at Invictus, which I feel like we don't see that as much anymore. But Invictus back in the day, every big name in coaching would drop in for weekends and be hosting seminars or just hanging out with us as the athletes of the team. And we were getting front row seats to watching some of the best coaches in the world. And so I continually reference you, Kelly, when I'm talking about my own coaching, because you may not have known it, but I mean, you were a mentor to me back in the day as I was becoming a coach because I learned to have a love of coaching because of the incredible coaches I was surrounded by. It was a special time, a special place. I, I mean, never to be repeated again. It was truly special. And that really meant something to me because I was determined to figure out how to make this my life and my career 
not just a moment in time, like a placeholder because I didn't know what else I wanted to do. I loved it so much that I needed to, to grab as much as I could from all of the incredible coaches I was seeing. You know, as Coach Bergner was down, or you, like you had Carl at your gym. Like we were just, it, it was so incredible. And so a lot of my philosophy comes from just gleaning bits and pieces from every single one of you and understanding how applicable it was to what I was teaching and how I could draw from every single one of you and how it wasn't just this single movement that stood unto itself, that it was just a small part of a bigger picture. Amazing. Yeah, that was a pretty amazing time. And um, thanks for shouting out Kelly as a coach, because sometimes he um, feels like he's been reduced to being the stretching guy. <laughs> but if you ask him what he does or mm. how he sees himself, he sees himself as a coach. So legal anyway, stretches, um, shout out legal stretches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is sort of related to like what's happening in the fitness business at large. And as I track the trends and what's going on in fitness, I can't help but notice that there appears to be like an explosion of rowing companies. Yeah. Um, connected rowing? Yes. Is that the right word? Specifically yeah. connected Mike, Mike rowing. I would agree with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Hydro is obviously the first one that I ever noticed, but, you know, I track what's going on and I'm like, wow, there's another connected fitness company or another rowing platform. What's your take on all that? Has it helped? Um, has people, it helped? Is it, it bringing more, more people into the sport? Is it not great? Because so we have a neighbor a who was like, I want to get fed. I, I bought a rower and I was like, oh, well, you know, but there's also, when you're ready to sell it, let me know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and again, I don't, I don't mean to be like a, you know, OG rowing perfectionist, but I'm like, well, rowing's actually complicated. Like, I, yeah. I don't know if you can do that. So I don't know. I just wanted to get your take on like, what are you seeing in, in the business? What do you think is going to be successful What's your take on sort of how rowing has dropped into the, you know, sort of larger fitness consciousness through all this connected rowing and, and so forth? Okay, so I don't want to say that I saw it coming, but I saw this coming way back when. And it's why I stuck with it. <laughs> it's like I genuinely felt this like growing sense of interest behind rowing before it was cool. And mm -hmm. now, like you said, there are, you have Ergata, Hydro, Averon, Whipper, I know I'm missing at least a couple, but I mean, and these are all just startups making rowing machines. Whereas 10 years ago, Concept2 and Water Rower were it. That was your only option. And then not to like interrupt you really quickly, but can't you also go to like a gym where all you do is row? Yeah, row house, city row. Yeah. I mean, the, right. the row, like I even started one in, in Houston back in the day before city row and row house actually figured out how to do it well. So... <laughs> It has been beneficial for rowing in so much as it's putting more visibility in front of people. The unfortunate side of it is, I don't know how many of these companies will be around five years from now, eight years from now, when funding runs out and when hmm. you know they may not be able to continue to deliver what they once promised. Um, I would like to think that they all will be because that means that the ecosystem will continue to grow and evolve and it will elevate rowing uh, further and further. As a what machine I think you know, people should be leaning into, I still just go back to Concept2 for most people because it's just a great, it's the Toyota of workout equipment. Right? Juliet and I get to travel for work. And one of our great delights is to 
uncover some like model A, model B. Like we've seen like the bike tires, we, like in the corner of some gym in Korea, <laughs> someplace in South Africa, there, there's an old erg and Julie and I are like, it's going to be fine. We're right home. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think that if Kelly and I ever get asked, you know, like what home gym equipment should I have? Like a rower would be extremely high on that list. I mean, those concept two machines are like complete workhorses. Yeah. You can like, move them around a lot and they survive and they last. And, you know, maybe every five years you have to get a new monitor or something like that. But I mean, those things are just Our children horses. do not, they'll go out of their way not to touch our Yeah, <laughs> But they're, they're amazing workhorses. And I mean, you know, I guess for a lot of people, they're still very expensive. But I mean, compared to these connected rowing devices, they're Half the downright price. affordable. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you said South uh, Africa. I was, I was on a safari in South Africa <laughs> and I got yes. invited to the rangers like clubhouse where they had a gym because i got to know one of the rangers and i was like can i come work out in the gym with you and he's like i'm gonna have to get special permission for that we get there there's a concept to sitting <laughs> outside half the seat was had been chewed away by a hyena one night overnight <laughs> so there was half the, half a seat please tell me you have a photo of that <laughs> i do somewhere it's i don't know where I would find it now, but I know it's saved somewhere. And then half of the handle had been eaten as well. And they still use, I wrote on it. I did a workout. On it. it was fantastic. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> yeah. I have one more story to tell you. Maybe four years ago or something, Erin Kafaro gave me this program she'd written up called the Row 2K program. So it was like, it was, I don't know, six weeks or eight weeks. And the whole goal Everyone, was to try Aaron to like PR on your 2K. So I did the whole program like dutifully, like it was so much rowing. I'd go into the garage and just row by myself for like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. And, and at the end of it, I was like, I felt so good and I was so fit. But because of my history and psychology around rowing, I couldn't actually bring myself to do the test at the end. <laughs> yeah. I noticed. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Like I was like, I had this sort of whole plan. Like I was like, I'm going to hold a 151 for this long and then 153 and this whole thing. And I literally like, I could not bring myself to do it. So, yeah. you know, but I, I was real fit by the end of that. I still get back into a boat usually twice a year, once in the fall, once in the spring for races. And last spring we were putting together a really competitive boat, had just a few former national team athletes and Olympians in there. And so we similarly went down the path of actual 2K training because we just wanted to womp on the competition. Like we did not want to show up and even there'd be a, a thought that we wouldn't win the thing. It was so mind numbing to get back on the machine. And I did not <laughs> want to retest my, I wanted to get on the water and hit our 2K, but I did not want to test that 2K. The yeah, psychology. Yeah. I was like, I can't. It's, it's always there for yeah. you. If you hurt a little bit, um, shout out to my mother who loves to row. She is a huge rower. She continues to row a ton. Can you give everyone listening who's never been on an erg one reason why they should start rowing? One singular reason for all people? Yeah. Like, why should we start rowing? Why should we care? Because <laughs> sometimes I look at that thing and I'm like, I don't want to care. I think it comes down to the completeness of the movement and how much is accomplished in a singular stroke let alone repeating the stroke over and over. But the fact that there are strength demands, there are kinesthetic demands, there's the aerobic demand. There's so much that can be accomplished in one singular movement with so little risk to keep it short. Great answer. It's true. I don't know many people who've like exploded rowing. I mean, I know rowers who've exploded rowing, yes. pulling on a 16 meter long or, you know, lever. Yeah. But I mean, that's different. And rotating so, to one side for 10 years <laughs> yeah, straight. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. You know? <laughs> so tell us what's next. What are you looking forward to? What are you working on? What's next? 
So we are currently launching affiliate programming. So we're dropping onto every gym software platform currently. Modify, Push Press, uh, SugarWad, SugarWad, be on the whiteboard. That's great. So we're launching an, an endurance program that includes and ties in any rowing machine or any machine endurance machine. So air bikes, biker, skier, rower, treads. That's our current trajectories. We're getting, making sure we get that launched on all those platforms as efficiently as we can, and you know, learning four different softwares at the same time. So my team's pretty busy, and then I'm working on spinning back up into the YouTube content. I took about a year hiatus starting that journey again and having fun creating new content and starting to rethink the way that I shoot content. Keep telling yourself you're having fun. <laughs> it's so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> I, Three I common enjoy, mistakes. I enjoy it because I know it's my outreach to coach since I don't have an actual coaching facility anymore. That's the, the one thing that keeps me going on that. So Shane, where do people find you on the internet and socials and how can people find more and learn more about what you're up to and become a more awesome rower? Yeah, darkhorserunning.com is our website. And probably the best place you can find my mug is youtube.com slash darkhorserowing. And that's probably our most prolific platform. We are on Instagram and others, but I really enjoy YouTube. So that's where we put the majority of our focus. Very nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It is so fun for us to have this experience where we're all kind of teenagers in a garage together and then to see people grow up and have these mature businesses and, you know, and evolve into like, you know, legit people. I mean, it, it just tickles us and uh, it is so fun to see what you're doing and we so appreciate it, man. Well, thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it.